Hello and welcome to this week's War of White Civility Council podcast on civility. Today's podcast is a rebroadcast of Civility Speaks by Robert Sachs. The topic of this podcast is on incivility toward oneself. This podcast is dated April 17th, 2021. Thank you. Hi, this is uh, Robert Sachs for Civility Speaks, and this is the early April edition. Uh, I was thinking originally of sort of titling them or whatever, but that doesn't really work, and the reality of us doing these podcasts is that we do them when we can. So uh, here we are in early April, or actually closer to mid-April, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about the concept of civility in relation to incivility, and especially the idea of incivility to oneself. This is something I did not cover really in my book, The Path of Civility. Um, Probably for good reason, because a lot of what I am looking at in, in presenting this is things that I've been taught over the years by various Buddhist teachers and other mentors along the way. It doesn't really come out of Buddhist texts, like the beginning of The Path of Civility looks at um, uh, social organization and what works in social organization and how to properly speak and work with people using skillful speech. And so that's really out of the, the, uh, the teachings of the Buddha directly and we're looking at the Pali Canon. And the second portion of my book is devoted to the rules of civility, which are found in Francis Hawkins' book that George Washington used throughout his entire life. So, um, there was no place for looking at incivility to oneself. So I want to address this now, because really I think that this is a very important aspect if we're really ever going to properly look at civility in society. In 1991, His Holiness Dalai Lama came to a meditation center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he asked a group of Buddhist students about this issue of lack of self-esteem because he had been hearing about it as he'd been traveling across the United States. He says, what's this issue, this lack of self-esteem, and is there anything within Buddhism that would help address this loss or lack of self-esteem that we have in the West? Because, you see, in the East, so much of the teaching has to do with calming people's egos down, sort of like dampening down their self Uh, their sense of self and trying to give it a perspective that allows them to be more compassionate and open to those around them. And so the issue was, how do you calm people down to realize the importance of the common good? I'm buying on a perspective. And so it's a lot of the teachings have to do with learning how to balance or quell the ego, not necessarily what happens when people are so uh, ego-deflated to, uh, to the point of, uh, of inertia and all sorts of things which I'm going to describe. Now, the thing that I would say as an example of that was when I was studying Tibetan medicine with Dr. Rapke, and at one point I asked him, because I'm a Buddhist student, uh, Dr. Rapke did um, do 
parents teach their children mantras as they're growing up. So the first words they hear are mantras, that kind of thing, to help develop you know, all sorts of skills and whatever. And what he said was, no, the first phrase that a Tibetan parent teaches their child to say is, eat my shit. Now that might seem shocking, but the idea was, in keeping with the Buddhist principle, and the Buddhist principle is we are all born with Buddha nature, that is equal in all of us. But when we're babies, we have nascent Buddha nature, we have Buddha nature which is there, but we're not experienced in the world. And so what happens is, we shouldn't be demeaned in terms of how you doing, little tiger, or you know, children are to be seen, not heard, etc., etc. That when a person comes to a child and demeans them, they're actually demeaning their Buddha nature. In which case, the child should have the right to assert themselves or at least stand their ground. Okay? As I'm addendum to that, I said, well, he said at the same time, parents are taught the mantra of compassion. So children are taught how to teach people to back off, and parents are taught how to have more compassion and understanding. Now, from my own standpoint, what I found was that, in many respects, I took this kind of approach when addressing my own children. And that is, I didn't necessarily tell them to learn the phrase, eat my shit. I did not say that. But what I told them was, in terms of me saying something to them, or asking them to do something, or even telling them to do something, or to stop doing something, that it had nothing to do with my quote-unquote authority over them from the standpoint of me being better than them. My Buddha nature and my child's Buddha nature is the same. The only difference is that I just happen to have been around the block a few more times than my baby or my young child. So the idea was, here's my experience, and this is why I'm telling you this. Think about what would happen if you heard that phrase rather than because I said so, or to get a smack across the face, or to be put in your room rather than uh, and be looked at as being totally insolent when you ask the simple question, well, why? <laughs> and even if you would still resist, you have the right to say why. You have the right to inquire. Everybody does. Because your mind is trying to grapple with what's happening. But at the same time, there are all sorts of factors that lead to a reality where there's so much fear and so much angst and so much self-loathing and uncertainty in our culture, especially uh, the youth culture and young people these days. There's a tremendous amount of growth with respect to an awareness of what's going on in the world because there's so much transparency in media, things like that. But there is also a... Um, a sense of, of uncertainty, so much uncertainty. So first of all, I want to look at some causal factors of this. One is the simple march of history. 
uh, where the Bible and other wise books say that the sins of the fathers are inherited by the children. And so we look at generations upon generations where we see the results of greed and ambition and the use of power and the sublimation of people and the dominance of people and the disparity that happens in cultures. And then you have people that are advantaged and people that are disadvantaged. And if you're taught also about, you know, we're all God's children, there's got to rise the question, why do I have and other people don't? And then you see that it's a result of all these things that we have perpetrated. And so there is some level of loathing or some level of disgust or some level of, of thought that this is unfair, that I have this advantage over others. So there's one aspect of it that's just there. Even if you don't feel that, there's some aspect of yourself that looks at your situation and other people's situation and there's a level of discomfort with when you are driving down the street in your Lexus or your Tesla and you're seeing people basically push a, a uh, shopping cart down the street. There's got to be a question that is raised in your mind. In many respects, one of the most interesting comments I heard during the Occupy movement was from teacher Robert Thurman who talked about the 1%. And he said, really, when it comes down to it, he said, you wouldn't want to be one of the 1%. That in terms of relationships, everybody is wanting to get a little bit of what they have. There's a tremendous amount of difficulty in their relationships with their children and their spouses. There's all sorts of suspicion. So there's all sorts of consequences that are just there naturally from the standpoint of disparity. And we may look at and try and deny or try to do something to seek absolution in the situation. And many of these things that we do, even charities, are band-aids to the feeling of disparity that gnaws at us. Then there's our religiosity and the idea that there's this notion of original sin versus the Buddhist idea of that we're basically good. And that what we're trying to do is we're trying to overcome the three poisons of ignorance, attachment, and aggression. Now the thing is, if you have and you see yourself as a sinner, then there can create this rigid, linear boundary. And as a result, we get cut off from ourselves, whereas a oneness perspective looks at the notion of possibility and inclusiveness that there's ways to work with this rather than feel uh, that we are bad as a result of what we have, etc., etc. Now that doesn't mean unskillfulness and things that we do to harm others shouldn't have a sense of regret or remorse. There can be that. But how much does self-deprivation or the cutting off of of oneself to what riches one has been given help one. You know, I look at the idea of what happens when we literally 
have situations with people that don't know what to do with all the money they have. And yet they don't necessarily think of charity. Or they don't necessarily think of extending themselves in ways beyond, beyond their money. Tangible, sweaty equity. This is quite useful. So there's our religious, our religious perspectives that are there. And then there is the digital world, where there's this incessant barrage 24-7 of undigested emotion and thought, where we end up looking at every single thing. And in many respects, what's happening is that we can't then delineate what's important and what's not, what we need to focus on, and what might be a minor trifle we should basically just let go of in order to accentuate the positive and work in a more positive direction. And lastly, there's our external world that we're looking at. The Buddha spoke of this time in terms of the dark age. You think about the global pandemic we're dealing with right now. The acceleration of high-intensity ecological calamities of biblical proportion. We're looking at mass migrations. In the United States, people are all bent out of shape about the southern border. Think about what's going on in the Middle East in terms of, of, of immigration and think of refugee camps. And these are all over the world that happen as a result of politics and ecology, poverty, sickness, warfare. All these things are contributing to massive migration everywhere, a tremendous instability in where people are. And as a result of that, there is a rise in xenophobic reactions to thinking you can protect yourself in your world, okay? And try and create a world that never was. It's just the world is now knocking a little bit more loudly on the notion of impermanence and the way in which things change. And so, therefore, there's all this, as well as the violation, uh, the viol violation that happens and the violence in the proliferation of political refugees all over the world. And so, in the immensity of all of this, we are called to transcend to transform, to prevail in trying to work with a connection to oneness in terms of who we really are, overcoming that sense of isolation, the loneliness that we experience. And yet, it can seem so easy just to get down on ourselves, to beat ourselves up, to feel a sense of resignation and hopelessness, the thing is that what this resignation and hopelessness does is it creates a greater sense of self-poverty and inner poverty. It creates self-loathing, which leads to spiritual listlessness, apathy, laziness. And what can happen when we get to that point when we get to that torpor, that spiritual deprivation, we can then get seduced to do all sorts of harmful things to ourselves and to others. 
we can be enlisted to join all sorts of conspiracies, to look for quick solutions. Some incivility to ourselves. And in fact, this incivility is a primary cause of spiritual poorness. In fact, in Buddhist Tantra, they say the greatest sin is one of self-denigration, putting oneself down. Because from there, all roads do not lead to a path of civility. Being incivil to oneself, what happens is cynicism, apathy, sarcasm in response, being clever rather than being wise, all these things are much more easy to perpetrate on ourselves and others. So how do we challenge this tendency? How do we prevent ourselves from going down this path of incivility? Well, the Buddha had the four thoughts that revolutionize the mind, and I won't repeat them in length because I've talked about these before. The first thought is precious human birth. Really appreciating what we have. Okay? I'm not saying that everybody's rich, everybody's got all the toys, etc., etc., but what richness do you have? Reflect on your life. And I guarantee you can say that there are people that maybe have better than you do, but there's a lot more people that have a lot less and are a lot more unfortunate circumstances than you find yourself in. The next thought is regardless of what you think your circumstances are, for better or for worse, it's all impermanent. It all changes. Poverty can turn into richness. Richness can turn into poverty. Things keep on changing in the relative world. And so we can't get down or find ourselves constrained in some kind of box that is a forever box, because there is no forever box. It's all changing. In which case, you have the third thought that revolutionizes the mind, and that is that what you do does matter. You can transform your situation. Everything really can be a gift in strange wrapping paper. No matter how weird it looks, no matter how bad it gets, there are people that learn that it's possible, not necessarily to walk around with rose-colored glasses, but to see that there's a possibility of doing something to make it so that either you or someone around you can be happier or be less in suffering in this moment here and now. And finally, with reflecting on those three things, the fourth point is to not do this, to focus on trying to perfect the outer world is like the saying that it's very difficult to cover the world in leather. It's much better to put on a pair of shoes. And the pair of shoes that you have to put on are the shoes of skillful means, the shoes of mindfulness and wisdom to cultivate and practice and work on it because guess what? It's so easy to lapse into this. It takes a lot of what Stephen Levine, a good friend, Dharma friend said, first of all has to start with some kindness towards yourself, some mercy towards yourself to create an open space in your heart to be grateful 
and to remember that when in your you know in your thoughts about being kind to all beings guess what you are a being you are one of the beings and when it talks about being kind to them you are one of them and in the oneness perspective there is no they so that's the message for today abandon instability to oneself be happy with your life as best you can and if you're not happy try to be open be merciful to yourself be grateful and keep on working at it thanks so much this has been another podcast from the worldwide civility council we thank you for listening for further information on civility and our other projects please check out our website at civilitycouncil.org. Thank you.